Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that would like to point out that when the going gets tough, he's not always sure what you should do. Here's the captain. Well, howdy doody to you. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. We are very happy to still have a little chocolate chip honey dip left in the garage fridge. This is an imperial style from Abel Baker Brewery loaded with flavor, chocolate, vanilla, and you guessed it, honey. Also 10% ABV, so drink this one at home in your garage or get a lift. And they have a double barrel version as well, which I love double barrel. Garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And let's give some praise and thanks to our good friends that helped us out with this week's show. First up, cheers to Joshua in Media, Pennsylvania. Joshua. And a big shout out to Carrie in Frederick, Maryland. Next up, a long distance cheers to Stephanie in Edinburgh, UK. And a big we like your jib to Than in Wrath Drum, Idaho. And here's a cheers to Jake L in Parts Unknown. And last but certainly not least, we have a shout out to our friends working and listening at Center Caps Direct down in Texas. Everybody we just mentioned, well, they went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Oh, by the way, don't be a douche burger. Don't be a douche canoe. Don't be a douche fries. You know, don't. Look, sign up today for our bonus show. And I'll know if you signed up or not. Numbers should be through the roofs. It's the best show since Oprah. They say it's the Jerry Cantrell of podcast. They say it's it's the Kramer to the Seinfeld. The bonus show to the main show. You better sign up today. Make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com. Click on the off the record link and sign up and start listening. You have hundreds of episodes to get to. 
Get nasty, people. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Captain, we are here on part two of what we are calling our Las Vegas crime stories. And why would we be covering multiple crime stories from Sin City, Las Vegas? Well, of course, that's because we are attending Crime Con 2022. That's right. Your boys are back at Crime Con. We're excited to be there. And in the past, we've done this. You know, last year we were in Austin, Texas for Crime Con, and we did a bad day in Austin leading up to that week. We want to give you something good to listen to on your travels there and on your travels back. Just to let you know, a bad day in Austin is, isn't about food poisoning. No, it's about two real-life true crime cases, some crazy stuff that, that went down all in one day in Austin. So as we gear up for CrimeCon, here we are talking about Vegas crime stories, and there are so many interesting ones to cover. We hope you enjoy the ones that we chose for this week. So in a sense, everyone, this is a part two, but if you haven't listened to part one, don't worry. You can continue on because we covered a completely different true crime story start to finish in part one this week. So thank you for joining us back here in the garage. And we got another great, interesting Vegas crime story for you here today. Let's start off by introducing a very important individual. This man, his name is John L. Bailey. John was born in November of 1942 in the great state of Massachusetts. He graduated from the University of Pittsburgh and served this great country in the United States Marine Corps and in the Vietnam conflict, during which he was decorated with two bronze stars. And in 1969, he became a special agent with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and was eventually assigned to several different field offices. This included Louisville, New York, and then lastly, Las Vegas. That leads us to the start of today's story here, Captain, because we're starting off on June 25th, 1990. And this is when Special Agent John L. Bailey, he is on duty working for the FBI's Las Vegas office. Now, one of his assignments for that day is to go to the Security Pacific Bank. Today, the bank is still there, but it's called Bank of America. This is in Las Vegas, Nevada. There, Special Agent Bailey was serving a subpoena in the bank. Agent Bailey arrived at the bank with no issues at all, but while inside the bank, something happened. Agent Bailey hears a scream followed by some commotion. He quickly identifies where the scream came from, and he rushes over to a female bank teller. Now, the teller tells Special Agent Bailey that the man who had just left her window had a gun and attempted to rob her, attempted to rob the bank. Now, I'll break from the action for a second here and play John Madden commentary for you and fill in the blanks. What has happened here is that a man has disguised himself as a woman with gauze on one cheek, and he's got one of his arms in a sling. My guess is that he might have been using the sling to hide or conceal the gun. Right. 
Or maybe he hurt his arm with too much flicky flicky. He approaches the teller. He tells the teller, you know, she's friendly. Hey, welcome to Security Pacific Bank. How can I help you? He tells her, shut up. This is a robbery. So he makes a robbery attempt, but the teller, it freaks her out. So she screams when she sees the gun and he says, shut up. She screams and it's reported that she screamed 592 or or 592. Those numbers. Now I'm guessing that's some kind of code in that bank for robbery or, you know, she shouts this out and jumps back from the counter. This in turn startles the robber who then must have decided to abort the whole robbery plan altogether. Right. Because then he turns and starts to walk back toward the door to exit the building. Well, this is when special agent John Bailey steps in. So picking up where we left off, now the teller is telling special agent Bailey that the man who had just left her window, he had a gun and had attempted to rob her. So Bailey turns and runs after the robber. And of course, he draws his service weapon. He identifies himself as an FBI agent and ordered the bank robber to stop. The man still walking to the nearest exit starts to turn back toward the agent. And as this man turns, keep in mind, he still has his gun in his hand. Reacting to seeing the gun, Special Agent Bailey fired off one shot, which does not hit our robber. It hits the door that he was attempting to leave from, which, as most of us know, a lot of these doors in these banks are, are glass. So he hits this door and the glass shatters. Well, this scares the would-be robber enough to the point where he is now going to listen to the agent and he does drop his gun. Well, let's back up just a little bit because I do have some experience of being a banker and working in that industry for quite a while. So let's, let's go over some protocol. When you are a teller, and look, I, I worked uh, many years and sometimes as a roaming teller, so you have a home location, but then there's multiple locations when they are short-staffed, then you have to go over and work. And one of the things that tellers talk a lot about is, have you been robbed? Uh, no. Oh, I have been. And this is what happened. And they remember every detail, but oddly, they might remember their actions and what they were doing and how they felt. They might not remember the details of the actual robber themselves. Mm -hmm. So the protocol is this, or and, and I'm sure it's changed throughout the years and with technology, but we've all seen it in Hollywood movies. There's a silent alarm that you hit, and that alarm then will let your security if you have security know but it also could send an alarm to police it also sends alarms to other employees at the bank if if your system set up i've worked in different banks where it would alarm the managers and other people and i've worked in other situations where you you hit the button and you have no clue what it does it might go straight to alerting local police but so i'm the teller guy comes up let's say he passes me a note give me all your money i'm going to try to hit that alarm if i can mm -hmm. if i can't 
I have two things that I can give the robber. One, a die pack. It looks just like a, a strapped money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes on the note, they'll say no strap money, just loose money. So in that scenario, or if they're communicating you with you vocally and they say no strap money, you are trained to just don't even try to hand it to them. Or they might tell you, well, put it on the counter, see if they take it. So you have the die pack, which will then eventually explode. And then you have another pack, which is marked money. So the marked money is just regular money, but we have a record of what the serial numbers of those dollars are. Mm -hmm. So if you can get to the silent alarm, if you can give them the die pack, or if you could give them what they call the bait money, again, I'm sure it's different for every bank, but one of the banks that I worked at, once you pulled the bait money, it would also trigger Trigger another alarm. So the main situation you're trying to avoid as the teller is a takeover situation. You want the robber in and out as fast as you can, and you want to avoid a situation like the movie Point Break, for example. That's a terrifying takeover situation. Multiple men, multiple guns, and they're violent and willing to shoot and willing to fire and and yelling and screaming at the 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 employees as well as the customers of the bank as well. Yeah, and and also people might be familiar with the movie The Town, which I think is a brilliant movie. Brilliant. A takeover in the sense of a robber or multiple robbers getting behind the line. You want to keep the desk or the whatever console you're behind in between you two. And you want to just get them whatever they want. That's why a lot of these bank robbers will say, well, if you if you don't go after a bunch of money, you're going to get a bunch of stuff real quick and then get out of there. But you might, a lot of people would think that the number is high, but they would give you a yearly estimate like this year, the average bank robber only walked away with three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. so it's a lot lower than you would think, which is insane because it's a federal offense because it's a bank. Mm-hmm. You'd be smarter as a criminal to go rob a a business. We've we've learned that from doing True Crime Garage when we cover these cases where a business is robbed. It's thousands of dollars usually that they're leaving with a business. Yeah, and so we had a scenario and. It also weirdly happens where there's not that many customers in the bank. And I don't know if that's something the bank robbers are are looking for or maybe there's too many people in the bank so then they get scared because you would have to deal with, like in this situation, off-duty police officer or on-duty police officer. But I remember a case where there's two people in line. There was a lady and there was a man and there was just two tellers out. I was on the far left side. The other teller was on the far right side. There was multiple uh, workstations in between us. And the lady finished. And I noticed that the teller to the right of me was kind of busy. So I motioned the guy, come forward, come forward. And I just knew, like I just had this feeling there's something off about this guy. And so I ducked down because I had a bunch of coin that I needed to put in my station's little tiny vault and lock the door and I did that and he decided to not go to me because again I'm six three 
my my colleague was five four maybe he was a pretty small guy so he went to him and as i'm coming up thinking that the guy's going to be at my station i turn the guy's already gone and my coworker is just white you know mm-hmm. like ghostly white and i'm like you okay he's like uh, i just was robbed and i was like hit your button and then there's a protocol afterwards well did did you hit your alarm no you didn't that's okay hit this alarm did you pull your bait money no go ahead and pull that and then then i'm directed to hit my alarm and then i went and locked the doors and you call the cops and you just shut down the whole bank so even though there there was no gun involved there was no note involved in this case but you you see right away how affected somebody is just by the robbery attempt yeah and even without the presence of a firearm you as a person and you're being robbed you you never the idea that there could be a firearm on this person does not leave your mind and so and just to kind of point something out here captain you pointed out your height but i'm also thinking yeah no kidding he went to the smaller teller because if this individual is not armed and just wants to hand a note and the captain's having a bad day, well, you got quite the wingspan too, my friend. You could grab this guy and just hold him to the counter until the authorities get there. And here's what's funny, and and not to – look, I, I think people should take this very serious, and I would also suggest that in the banking industry, they've dealt with this so much that they know – we'd rather lose money than a person. Yes. And so we have came up with these protocols for safety. But when my coworker was, his name was Ray. He's like, I was robbed. I, I I don't know what happened. It was like this shot of adrenaline. And I was like yelling and cursing. And it's like, because I, like I said, when I said, come over here, Hey, I can help you down here. It's like I knew there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, I was robbed, and I'm screaming, you know, the the, the mother effer could have came to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that coward. And I'm like screaming. And, and again, it could be one of those situations. You're handed that note, and you're having a bad day. And you go, no, not today, buddy. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy pulls out a gun, takes over the bank. It becomes a whole different s- scenario. Not to, you know, talk too much about my personal story, but then I have to notify everybody in the bank. We were just robbed. There's a couple ladies in the break room. And I say, hey, guys, I just locked the doors. We were just robbed. And my manager at the time just goes ghost white. And she's, like, physically shaking. And tears are just rushing out of her her face. Mm -hmm. She gets up and she's... She's our manager, so she's trying to make sure that everybody's okay. And I noticed that she's there's something wrong with her. And I'm like, Heather, it's okay. We're we were you know, yeah, the guy just got a couple bucks, we locked the door, Ray's fine. And then I found out that she actually was a part of a takeover mm-hmm. um up in I, I don't know if you remember this in Westerville and one of the security guards, which was off duty cop, was actually she was laying on the ground and he was in a room and he was trying to come out. I think he had his gun drawn and everything was going to try to come out onto the P 
people robbing the bank and they shot him and he fell and like right by her and he ended up dying and it was a big case in Ohio and I didn't know that she was a part of that but she was I mean she was a mess I mean mm-hmm. you could just see you know PTSD happening in front of your face you could see what trauma does to an individual which then took our seeming to be not such a serious life-threatening situation and it became way more intense and it's probably the reason why I remember every little step that happened for the next hour. Well, it's real interesting to me too the way that these agencies will work on these types of crimes and in different crimes, you know, but in reference to bank robberies. You know, the FBI for years and probably still do had a squad that was Back then, back in the 70s, was referred to as the crime prevention. Sorry. Back in the 70s and 80s was referred to as the crime prevention and reactionary squad. And in fact, John Douglas, friend of our show, he served in that reactionary squad before this whole profiling thing came about with the behavioral science unit. And so one thing that they did when they specialized in bank robberies, and I always found this to be fascinating, they were trying to go in and teach bank tellers and bank managers and kind of set up some of the protocols that you're talking about here, Captain, so that one, not only can we try to prevent as many future bank robberies as possible, but if one should happen how should the teller or managers behave so that we get some information on the criminal? Right. And one thing that I found fascinating was he was saying the first thing that they noticed that was wrong in most of the bank robberies, most of these bank robberies go down just like you said. The person robbing the bank, much different than our Las Vegas situation, hands a note instead of saying, hey, shut up, this is a robbery hands a note. They want it to be kind of on the DL, be very quiet. They want to get that money and they want to get out of there and hopefully not have to pull a gun in the process. But the very first thing that they noticed that would be, would be, uh, to the FBI's advantage who would later investigate the bank robbery was that the teller just out of natural instinct, almost always gave the note back to the robber along with the money. Yeah, not to cut you off, but that's, again, one of the protocols. If the robber then comes in and hands you a note, you are to take that note. Yes. Just as you would a deposit. And so what they were teaching, the FBI was actively teaching banks, specifically banks in certain regions where there was a high trend of bank robberies going on. The first thing that they taught them was, at the very least, drop the note on the floor in front of you behind the counter right do not give it back to the robber because at the very least we can get a handwriting sample or maybe there'll be something on that piece of paper that will help us to later identify this person or where they came from all very interesting stuff i imagine with your protocols that you had there was no and i can't imagine that this being a protocol anywhere all of these years later but in 1990 i can only assume her screaming 592 was some kind of code for the bank, which you wouldn't want to do that because I would believe that screaming something like that, and and, and I'm not faulting this teller. Right. She's simply reacting to a very stressful and surprising situation. But 
yelling something like that could very quickly lead to maybe even a hostage situation. I don't know if there, we were directed during training of where to put the note, but we had two drawers, our top money drawer, and then we had our secondary drawer. And we were then instructed, if you get a note, put it, put it in the secondary drawer and just shut it. You don't have to lock it. But it was a lot about, you know, trying to remain calm. And look, the banking industry is high turnover. You, you work with somebody for a couple months and they're gone, especially at the lower level positions. But one thing that I can applaud them for is did Ray make all the best decisions? Did he give the note back? If you made mistakes or th- or you did things differently than your training during that situation, nobody faulted you. Right. there, It was a lot of compassion to go, hey, you went through this. And, and every now and then there'd be some jerk, you know, have you ever been robbed? Oh, yeah, I was robbed. It was terrifying. Well, was there a gun? No, it was just a note. Well, you're, you're a sissy or you're this or... Yeah, and you don't want to stick around to find out if there is a gun. Yeah, and it's like that's my argument. Anytime there was some douchebag going, "Oh yeah, man," well, I would have, I would have jumped over the counter and karate kicked the guy in the face. It's not your money, dude. If they're crazy enough to come in, knowing that it's a federal charge, you don't know what their intent is. Is their intent to get a thousand bucks? Is their intent for you to open up the drawer and then they pull out a gun? You know. Are in this moment, are they going to go from, well, I wanted a thousand bucks, but now I think I could get more? Well, and I imagine the overall general idea is, and unfortunately, it's not going to work out that way in today's true crime story, but I would imagine the general idea is give them the bait money and get them out of there as soon as possible. Hopefully, they just take what you give them, turn around, and they leave. And then we don't end up with a situation where someone gets hurt. Unfortunately, in our case here today, Captain, that will not be the situation. We have Agent Bailey who identifies himself to the fleeing robber as an FBI agent. He's got his service gun drawn, pointed toward this man who's trying to flee the exit. He turns, the robber turns and looks at him. And when that happens, the agent identifies the gun in his hand. He fires off a shot. The agent fires off a shot which then goes through the glass door, scares the robber enough that he drops his gun. So Agent Bailey grabs the robber. Now he's holding him up against a wall. As you can kind of picture when these cops, you know, arrest somebody on TV, they put him up against the wall and we look like we're about to cuff this guy. Okay, so now as it would appear, We have everything under control. We had all this commotion. Now we have everything under control. Guy attempts to rob a bank, and as luck would have it for him, an FBI agent just so happens to be in the bank. Mind you, this bank had none of its own security at the bank. So it is time for this guy to be taken into custody. Now, acting swiftly, Special Agent Bailey, he frisks the robber. And he has him sit down in a chair so he can kind of control him. Now, one teller dials 911 and Agent Bailey told someone else to call the local FBI office and let them know that there's been a robbery attempt, but there's an agent here that's got the situation under control. Can you send additional agents? 
And then he has to ask another bank employee to go and retrieve his handcuffs from his car. And keep in mind, special agents with the FBI are not frequently using handcuffs day to day. You know, they're not like beat cops that need to carry the handcuffs all the time or multiple handcuffs because they're using them frequently. The robber is in the chair while Bailey is waiting for the handcuffs. The bank employee returns with the cuffs, but before Agent Bailey could shackle the robber, his attention, Special Agent Bailey's attention, was apparently diverted. And when this happens, the robber sees an opportunity, and so the bank robber lunged at Bailey, knocking the agent's gun out of his hand and knocking Bailey to the ground. So there's a brief scuffle now, but before Agent Bailey could retrieve his gun... The bank robber recovers his own weapon. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it Absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. 
get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back, mates. Cheers to you. To the windows, to the walls. Cheers to you, Captain. And cheers to everybody that's going to CrimeCon this weekend. So where we left off here, we have Agent Bailey, who's trying to apprehend this individual that tried to rob the Security Pacific Bank. And instead, before he could shackle this individual, we have a scuffle that breaks out. The robber sees an opportunity, knocks Bailey to the ground, and then before Bailey can recover his weapon, well, the bank robber recovered his own weapon. Now with gun in hand, the robber takes a couple steps toward Agent Bailey and fires off a shot, then another step toward the agent and then fires off several more shots. Meanwhile, remember 911 has already been called by this point. This was done right after the robbery attempt. So right as the robber was attempting to flee and Bailey was in pursuit of him, 911 is called. So now the teller has to 
dramatically change the information that she is providing to the emergency dispatcher because unfortunately this whole situation went from apprehending the robbery to way out of control very very quickly the teller is saying to the 911 dispatcher quote the suspect is firing shots the teller told the emergency dispatcher quote yes he has shot the fbi agent the fbi agent has been shot end quote i mean absolute chaos but again remind the listeners what this individual looks like yes remember the robber has disguised himself as a woman dressed as a woman an injured woman with the gauze on the face and an arm in the sling and of course after this scuffle breaks out i'm sure that the arm is no longer in a sling here but in all the robber unfortunately managed to shoot special agent bailey three times a total of three times well not wanting to stick around the robber runs out of the building and then runs to is seen running to a blue firebird now not only did this guy show up armed to the bank that day and in a disguise he had a getaway car and driver waiting for him outside of the bank So the robber jumps into this blue Firebird in the passenger side, and the driver steps on the gas, and away they go. Now, as the gunman fled to the waiting car, Special Agent Bailey is still lying on the ground, severely injured. He's in very bad shape at this point, shot three times. A short time later, Bailey was transported to a hospital where he had succumbed to the three gunshot wounds. Unfortunately, Agent Bailey passed away on that day in 1990. Now, this man thought he was going to be walking out of the bank with a big bag of cash, right? The robber thought he would have a successful robbery. At this point in his day, had everything gone as planned, he thought he would be sitting somewhere celebrating, probably having a drink or two, dividing up the cash with his getaway guy. Right. Instead, he's got nothing except a pissed off driver. Well, and a murder charge. Yes. Now he's responsible for killing a federal agent. Yeah, but let's go back to the before the conflict. Robber comes up. She yells, what, 592? Correct. Scares the guy. He takes off. If there is no shot, if there's no confronting this individual, there is no, there is no murder. Right. That's one of those things about this case that's just haunting to me. How, you know, we talk about this all the time, how life can change on a dime, especially in these true crime cases. The weird scenario of two things. One, we would later learn that they case this joint. And you'll see once we start going through some of this evidence that that is obvious. But they case the joint, and this robber, whoever he is, he picked this bank and decided to go forward with the plan because they had no security. They didn't have armed officers or security guards there at the bank. So that was one of the reasons for choosing this bank. Who would have thought? Agent Bailey never would have thought this. The bank robber never would have thought this. Anybody in the bank that day never would have thought this, that on the same day, at the same moment, Two individuals that probably decided that they had to be at this bank on this day for completely different reasons days earlier 
right? The agent knows he has to serve a subpoena. At some point, this robber decides, yes, this is the bank for me to go do the job. Who would have thought that two people from very different walks of life would be walking into that same bank roughly the same time and be in the same four walls, both armed to carry out completely different missions and right. both lives have changed in a matter of just seconds to minutes here in this case, one life taken way too early. And now another man who is on the run and you're right, captain. It's one of those things that is just so damn haunting and really sad too to sit back and think about it and look back on it because hindsight is always 2020. That's what they tell us. And I guarantee you, if you could ask, Special Agent Bailey, if you could ask the robber, if you could ask anybody that was there that day, if we would have just done nothing or done something different, we would probably be looking at a completely different outcome. Well, and that's one of the reasons why the banks release these statistics. Oh, you come into the bank and you rob us, you're walking away with the average of a couple hundred bucks. So is that even worth putting yourself into this situation? And that's why a lot of these banks, they used to have armed guards and they realized that sometimes that escalates situations instead of de-escalating them. And then you see now a lot of situations where banks won't have armed guards on staff. Well, and I want to be perfectly clear here too. I'm not blaming, I'm blaming 0% of this situation on special agent Bailey. This man took an oath to protect and serve, and he certainly did that that right. day. He died a hero, and this is a man that served our great country, two bronze stars. This is a man that that decided one day, when I see something wrong going on, when I see a bad person, I'm going to step into action, and I'm going to take care of business. Well, that's the oath they, they made, just like with nurses. You know, they make the oath to, to help individuals so if you ever seen somebody in public i was on a plane recently and this lady was having an issue and there was a couple of nurses that just sprung into action and you just realized that these are some elite humans mm -hmm. just like this individual he he made the oath i'm going to protect and serve my community and and, and he did so and what's so sad is okay so this guy comes in to rob the bank you're going to walk away with a couple hundred bucks and now you got a murder charge. Is it worth the greed? All of the blame lies on the side of the bad guys, of the robbers, because had this not taken place at all, none of this would have come about. So not blaming Agent Bailey. And in fact, the, the thing is with a lot of our good women and men that protect and serve and serve this country in the military, you ask them to do a job that most people cannot do it's not fair to ask them to turn it on and off They They got to be on. A lot of these people have to be on all the time. Well, I just want to say this guy's a shit bag. And also your makeup didn't look that good either. No, I bet you he made for one ugly. It was woman. one ugly well, woman. Check this out though. Captain, our guy, special agent, John Bailey, before the man rushed him, knocking him to the floor, Bailey, took the guy's wallet. He had, he was already in the, the apprehending process so far that he had taken this man's wallet. So after the robber fled, 
the scene, we now have police and EMTs arriving on the scene and the officers quickly notice the robber's wallet is still at the scene. A police officer who arrived at the crime scene shortly after the robber fled discovered a motorcycle parked in the handicapped parking space just outside of the security Pacific Bank. An investigation of the vehicle identification number or the VIN on the motorcycle revealed that a man named Jose Achevera was the owner of that motorcycle. Now, a quick check with the DMV or BMV or whoever you are and wherever you're from, whatever they call it there, disclosed that the license plate attached to that motorcycle in the handicap spot belonged to another vehicle. It was not a license plate that was to go on that motorcycle. Someone had switched the plate, but we know who the motorcycle belongs to because we have the VIN, but the rightful owner of the license plate found on the motorcycle was identified as a one Carlos Alfredo Gurry. Let's review some of the evidence that we have here, Captain, because we have this motorcycle, we have the license plate, we have the wallet of the individual who was attempting to rob the bank. We also have the grainy surveillance camera video, uh, the footage that captured the desperate fight between the agent and the robber. And we also have the 911 call, which was recorded, which was the teller explaining what was going on shortly after the robbery attempt and through the scuffle and the shots itself. Unfortunately, you can even hear faintly in the background some of the shots while the operator is on the phone with this teller. If you had this information, it was just a robbery. I mean, they'd obviously take it pretty serious, but you have an officer dead. This becomes very serious. So where are they going to take this information and what are they going to do with it? You're exactly right, Captain. This is an all-hands-on-deck type of situation. We got everybody at the Las Vegas branch of the FBI that, that is going to want to find both of these individuals, arrest and convict them. And look, that spreads throughout this entire country. That's a federal agency. And then you have local PD. This ends up being a very big case very quickly, a very big investigation. And luckily for the investigation itself, you've kind of been delivered your prime suspects names on a silver platter. You got the motorcycle, you got the license plate, and you got some man's identification. So what they do is a quick check on both of these individuals running their names through the system. Mr. Carlos and Mr. Jose running their names through the system. They very quickly figure out that the two, of course they know each other. I'm guessing that at one point they probably were concerned that maybe Jose had simply lifted a plate off of somebody else and put it on the motorcycle. But again, they know that somebody drove Jose away from the scene after the robbery attempt. They figure out that these two guys share an apartment together. And what I'm guessing happened here, Captain, is that you have... They were late on rent. Well, I, who knows what they needed the money for, or wanted the money for. But regardless, I'm thinking as far as what played out before the robbery attempt is probably one of these individuals, likely Jose, arrives on the scene, parks 
the motorcycle in the handicap spot, probably fashions himself up quickly in this this not so great disguise of a woman with the 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 arm in a sling, because you don't want your getaway vehicle sitting out in the parking lot for minutes or an hour or what have you. You also don't want your getaway driver constantly just circling around the building waiting waiting for you to come out. So I'm guessing that he went in there on the motorcycle, parks it, goes in in disguise, thinks that he can make a quick robbery. Who who knows how much money they were hoping to get? They probably have a designated time. Hey, at this time, this is when I'm going to be inside the bank. You need to be out front of the bank as quickly as possible and I can flee and jump into that vehicle and we can drive off into the sunset together, maybe retrieve the motorcycle later or leave it there altogether. Who knows? But of course, we know that their plan didn't work out that way. And when they discovered that these two individuals lived together and shared an apartment together, there is a little bit of break in the action, right? They're not going to know immediately how to track down both of these individuals. It takes just I'm imagining here just hours, if not one day's turnaround time. But ultimately, they locate Carlos Gurry, the getaway driver, at his home, at the apartment. He's still there. They arrest him at the apartment. Now, what they're doing in the meantime is they have his picture and they have Jose Achevera's picture as well. They're showing these pictures to people that work at the bank and anybody that they think may have seen these individuals or interacted with them before. What they end up having here, Captain, is a lot of people are starting to tell the investigators, hey, that that Carlos Gurry guy, I saw a guy that looked just like him lurking around the bank days before and yes, he was always on a motorcycle or near a motorcycle. And he was just kind of hanging around outside of the bank. They figure out ultimately that he was casing the joint. My guess here too, is that Jose Achevera was probably casing the joint as well. We just don't have anybody saying that they saw Jose Achevera there before the robbery. So they cased out this joint and believe you me, it is not by accident in my opinion, that they picked this bank because there was no armed guard. Now they're on the lookout for this Jose Achevera. Well, on the 26th of June, they're going to get a phone call that they really wanted. Mm -hmm. And this is the Mexican authorities calling and saying, we got your guy. Jose Achevera fled to Mexico but was apprehended by Mexican authorities. And he was then taken to an airport and returned to the United States. Got him. Now, both men are going to be facing charges of first degree murder. And yeah. of course they didn't plan on killing anybody that day when they chose to rob the bank. But as we know, in many States, if you commit a murder, especially that of a federal agent in the process of committing other felonies, well, you're going to face, you're going to be looking at the most strictest of punishments, the, the most strictest of charges. And so they're both charged with first degree murder. In 1991, Jose Echevera was convicted on five counts. Uh, one was first-degree murder and the use of a deadly weapon, burglary, attempted robbery, escape, and conspiracy. He was sentenced to death. 
Carlos was also convicted of first-degree murder with the use of a deadly weapon, burglary, attempted robbery, and conspiracy, receiving a life sentence in prison with the possibility of parole. Now, both men appealed their convictions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jose also appealed his sentence. Is there charges higher because it's a federal building and it's a federal agent? I would imagine that's all-encompassing. Right. in this situation here. The the other thing that's key too is not only did he kill an FBI agent, but he killed an FBI agent after the man after agent Bailey identified himself as such. Right. So the the suspect knows that this is a federal agent and with that comes a different set of charges and penal and penalties. One of the the difficult things here in this case, though, Captain, and one of the things that is in Jose Achevera's appeals, he had multiple appeals, obviously, but in one of the appeals, his argument was Mexican authorities, it sounds like they did a number on him once he was arrested, or at least according to Jose's version of the story, that they beat him up pretty good. And this before returning him to the United States, he says during the course of, of them beating him up and and the torture or whatever they put him through, that that's when he confessed to them. What's difficult here though, is it doesn't appear that that confession was really used in any way for the conviction of this individual. And I don't know how this would work. You know, a lot of this legal stuff is very tricky to kind of parse out and sift through But the situation would be, even if he is telling the truth, he was assaulted by an agency outside of this country, not by any of our agencies that worked his case in Las Vegas or in the United States. My my issue with a lot of these criminals is that they want to be treated a certain way. They want to be pampered in such a way. Essentially, these, these horrible shit stains they're animals it's like uh you see on tv somebody there's a high speed chase and when the officers get the guy they slam him on the ground just a little bit too hard and people go oh look at that that's police brutality and you're like this guy was driving hundreds of miles an hour in all these zones where if he would have hit a child. Yes. Or, I mean, it's like, and, and that's the frustration once they get their hands on right. one of these shit prisons. It's, it's like, they okay, they slammed him down a little bit too hard. They right. cuffed him a little too hard. They don't care that he's a little uncomfortable. It's, it's, like, it's criminal brutality for the all the events that led up to being slammed on the ground. It's, exactly. It's the, the human indifference toward other potential loss of life or injury to your fellow man by the criminal as well. That upsets me. It's just like what we talked about in yesterday's case. They put that bomb on top of a car in a public place. Anybody could have walked up and picked that thing up. It could have been someone that it was not intended for. And I'm not saying that I wanted it to hit anybody at all. Right. I'm just saying anybody, a child could have walked over and picked that thing up. And that's the thing that that I get upset about too here, Captain, is that these criminals, we see it time and time again. This These guys set out on a mission to take an armed weapon, to be armed and go into a bank with a weapon and rob the place. For money. For money. 
And in the process, one of them murdered a federal agent and the other individual helped drive that person away from the scene. And so we have this time and time again where criminals will ask or expect a certain level of respect, expect a certain level of compassion, of human decency from the rest of us, from the general public, from all of the citizens of this great country and other great countries. When in turn, they would never give us any respect. They would never show us any compassion. They would never show us any human decency. And I'm a get what you give kind of person. You ain't getting that from me. Yeah, preach on, brother man. We also had a couple of situations take place that I think are interesting to this case and provide additional evidence uh, against these two individuals. One was that blue firebird was recovered. It was found abandoned along a highway. And they also figured out that at Jose Echevarra's request, another individual actually buried two the two guns that were used in the robbery, the one that shot John L. Bailey, and those guns were later recovered. So we had some other individuals that faced some charges as well in this situation. We do have Agent Bailey, who he had a family. He had a wife and a family. His daughter is now grown and what they did was they they actually dedicated the the Las Vegas FBI building, which is located at Lake Mead and at Martin Luther King. This building was dedicated and named in memory of Special Agent John L. Bailey. That took place in August of 2007. And I know we this is what we do. It's called True Crime Garage. I know we're going to talk about crimes every week but it's aggravating but yeah i mean it's like just be better people it's just i was in the grocery store line the other day and it's like they didn't have enough lines open and this lady just started acting like a child and i just thought your your daughter's here be better kinder humans patience truly is a virtue yeah or (laughs) you get up in the line and the lady in front of me is complaining complaining to the cashier it's like, do you think the cashier wants a huge line? No. She looks miserable. She looks miserable because there's 20 people in her line. And there's no backup coming. And you just go, why can't you be better people? Or like when you're driving down a two-lane highway and you see a car coming into your lane because they're on their freaking phone. Like, can't, can't we all just start being a little bit more mature a little more aware of others, a little bit more compassionate. Like, you can spread kindness. I know that sounds maybe a little hippie, sappy, whatever you want to say, but you can spread kindness. You could spread kindness. You can spread love. Try to make this, try to wake up every day and make this world a little bit better. We will be at CrimeCon Las Vegas this Friday and Saturday on Podcast Row. So if you are there in attendance, please drop by our little table and say hello to the captain. Say hello to the colonel and everybody traveling to Las Vegas this weekend. Safe travels to you. Have a fun, safe time while you're there. I just want to hug and squeeze and kiss it. 
each and every one of you. Hold you tight to my bosom. Make me feel good. Like like I'm filled up with a warm Campbell's soup. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful list? Yes, we do, Captain. This week we are recommending a new book that's a great book. It's called The Girl I Never Knew by LaDonna Humphrey. And guess what? Little surprise here. The foreword was written by yours truly. So make sure you check out The Girl I Never Knew by LaDonna Humphrey. And that is available in paperback. And it's about the Melissa Witt case still unsolved after all of these years. Did you have a ghostwriter? No. Did you use a computer or did you use a typewriter? I used a computer oh, and, a, and a notepad if we if we really yeah. want to get <laughs> you into heard it. it here first, folks. Yeah. Right. Pen to paper and then fingers to keyboard. Yeah. Check out The Girl I Never Knew. You can find that great title and many more on our website at truecrimegarage.com on our recommended page. Yeah, so much stuff. Anything true crime that you want to check out. we got a great store page. we got the recommended reading. we got the links for Off the Record. So much stuff. Check it out. Until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.